for those of you with very long memories, you may feel that you've been trapped in a time war because it's now the best part of a of decades since I was director of this August institution, but Colin has to go before the, uh, the, the seminar is over, so I, he just asked me to deputise. In introducing my, my friend and successor, or sort of 50% of my successor, Chris <laughs> Newton, uh, <laughs> um, who um, is going to talk about this rather mystifying um, Subject: Understanding the socio-economic distribution and consequences of patterns of multiple deprivation and application of self-organizing maps. And it's the self-organizing maps that uh, uh, worry me in the title. But I'm told we don't need to be able to do sums because no. the PowerPoint is so <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen. Um, yeah, when Colm asked me, uh, well, asked a number of us, would we like to contribute to the seminar series, <clears throat> I was caught in a situation where I had a couple of papers that were coming to close to the sort of publication stage and a couple of others that weren't far enough advanced <clears throat> to be sure I'd have something ready for today. So what I've done in the presentation today <clears throat> is to try to pull together a couple of papers that uh, I've been involved in um, uh, recently uh, with Bertrand Mate, my colleague at the ESRI, <coughs> and a couple of young Italian um, uh, sociologists. Um, and the issue they're trying to look at is issues of, uh, let's call it social exclusion for the moment, and the multidimensionality of social exclusion. And it's now received wisdom that social exclusion and indeed poverty are multidimensional. However, when you start trying to tie that down in any precise fashion, it just as with the concept of social exclusion, it often just slips through your fingers, okay? So multidimensionality can mean, for instance, uh, when, when Tony Blair, uh, you know, was early in office, David Miliband was in charge of the Office of Social Exclusion in the UK, and they defined social exclusion very much as, you know, being in a nasty neighborhood and suffering all sorts of multiple layer deprivation. So it was really an underclass type definition of, of, of social exclusion, okay? And that's multidimensional. On the other hand, the EU has now set up a set of European indicators where you are socially excluded if you're either income poor or deprived or low intensity work household and suddenly you find about 35% of people are socially excluded. You know, so you can go from 1% socially excluded to 35% socially excluded. They're both multidimensional you know, conceptions and you know, how, how do you start to get a grip on this? Well, at the ESRI for quite a while, we've been using deprivation indicators to do this. And we started to use uh, latent class analysis, which I'll come back to later on, as a method of doing this. The, the kind of core point about this was that we started to think that rather than talking about levels of multiple deprivation, <clears throat> that what you should maybe talk about is vulnerability and, and patterns of risk, patterns of exposure to risk rather than current patterns of, 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 of deprivation. Uh, and we were involved in the Equalsoft network and we went and presented uh, the, the, these papers feeling very happy with ourselves. And we met some Italian guys there who said, no, 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 that's, that's not the way to do it. There's much better ways to do it. We're using these self-organizing maps and, uh, you know, that's what you should be using. Now, the problem was that a combination of the technical stuff and their first language not being English meant that most of us 
at, at, at first sight were mystified by what they were doing. And you may indeed be mystified by the end of this seminar as, as to what I'm doing. Um, but I went back a second time to watch that second seminar of theirs and they were presenting the stuff and they were so passionate about it, what it could and couldn't do that I said, I must actually make an effort to try and understand what these guys are doing. So I went back, we went, we went back home, I wrote back to them and said, look, having gone through this stuff, I think this is what you're doing. I'm not sure, but I think this is what... And they went back, they came back and said, yes, 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 you know, that's, that's the kind of you know, core of it. The data they were using wasn't particularly good, so we suggested to them that we might collaborate uh, using Irish uh, EU SOAP data. Uh, and so then what we proceeded to do was to apply these SOM methods to that data. And having already applied the latent class methods, we were able to compare what happens, okay? Now, the really tricky parts of this paper, the really tricky technical parts, uh, you're going to have to write to my young Italian colleagues in Milan if you really want to understand them, okay? So the, the sort of precise way in which the... Uh, algorithms are set up uh, and so on are way beyond um, uh, my, my, my sort of limited sociological technological confidence. But all of the programming has been done in Stata, so if anybody's interested in using this stuff, I can link you up with uh, these, these Italian guys who have done the hard work on, 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 on the programming and so on. But what I'm, what I'm trying to do, and substantively what I'm trying to, to do, is to make some contribution to... Uh, what is, a number of people have said that if we're to make any advances in terms of multidimensionality, that we need to develop methodological platforms or platforms, okay? We need some way of, as I say, getting from this situation where we simply don't know whether by multidimensionality we mean to capture 1% of the population that we mean to capture 30% or, or how we're going to put that together. Okay, so, I, I'm, I'm, so I'm going to look at two different ways of thinking about that. The first is latent class analysis. Um, and and the, the contrast between these two methods is that latent class analysis comes in with really strong assumptions, okay? Uh, so basically, it assumes that the relationship between a set of variables is accounted for by underlying classes. In, in the case that I'm concerned about, it's simply, I'm, I'm simply going to assume that there is a latent vulnerable class and a non-vulnerable class, that the world is simply made up of two types of people, okay? who are vulnerable and non-vulnerable, okay? And that if I can identify those properly, the observed associations that we see between income, poverty, between income poverty deprivation, um, and uh, subjective economic stress will actually disappear, okay? If you like, it's a variant on, you know, the um, classic spurious correlation, okay? If you have a relationship between two variables or a set of variables and you identify the underlying cause, the relationship disappears, okay? Um, so it's a very simple model of how the world works and its only justification is that it often appears to work pretty well, okay? Self-organizing maps, on the other hand, and I'm not going to read out all this because you're perfectly capable of doing this. So Self-organizing maps, on the other hand, comes right at the opposite end of the spectrum. Throughout my career, I have been very frequently, along with my former ESRI colleagues, being called a positivist, okay? Most often by people who don't know what the definition of positivism is, okay? But in this case, this is pretty true, because this is a classic data reduction technique, okay? It takes a matrix of large number of observations, in our case, over 12,000. We have 42 items, uh, 42 consumption items, okay? And it starts with that matrix, okay? And it tries to project it onto a smaller space, 
Okay? And it does this, if you like, in a pretty mechanical sort of fashion. Okay? Um, uh, you know, and, and I'm, as I said, I'm not going to get into the technical details. But in terms of the assumptions involved, okay, it's actually at the opposite end to the sort of latent class analysis. As I say there, it, it has minimal assumptions. So it takes a matrix of, you know, 12,000 by 42, and it projects that onto a sort of smaller grid and says, you know, can we simplify? Can we simplify this in a way which maintains the relationships, the underlying relationships between the variables, okay? Uh, and which preserves the sort of relationship, uh, you know, between those, the, the underlying structure and relationship, okay? Okay, the data is EUCIL 2004, 14,272 individuals, and with 42 dichotomous deprivation variables. Um, we also have, when, when I come to the latent class analysis, we also use the 60% income line, and we use an economic stress variable, which is as simple as, you ask people, compared to other households, uh, have you, have you, how much difficulty do you have in making ends meet? And we take the people who have lots of difficulties, so it's simply a dichotomy. Uh, sorry, I should say with income poverty, it turns out we actually use four categories of income, uh, but I, it, 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 it's not particularly important. 60% of the median? 60% of the median, yeah. So, how do the indicators break down? They, they break down into, uh, in, into uh, if, when we were, were using the latent class procedures, using confirmatory factor analysis, the deprivation items break down into five categories, which I'll use, need to use for descriptive purposes lately. There's this basic deprivation items, which are the set which go into the Irish consistent poverty measure. So this is food, clothing, arrears, it's the, it's the extremes of deprivation. Then there's a whole set of consumption items. Uh, there are housing facilities items relating to basic housing facilities, neighborhoods, you know, noise, vandalism, etc., and then a set of health status items, okay? So the, so the 42 items break down into these. I'm, I'm not going to pause too much on these, but as I go through them, you can see, you know, the kind of items um, that are there. All of them are dichotomized, okay. Okay, so, so we have these, we, we have this 12,000 by 42 matrix, okay? And the SOM procedure then says, okay, for, you know, for each individual, we have a vector of observations, okay? And we're going to try and project each of those onto a smaller space, okay? Uh, and the idea is to try and, you know, partition that space into a smaller uh, set of units, okay? You can choose um, various smaller spaces. In this case, the space, uh, as I say, chosen by our Italian colleagues on the basis of criteria that I, I don't have time to get into, and if I did, I probably wouldn't explain very well, is a sort of 18 by 24 hexagon, okay? So what, as I say, it does is it, it takes the, the observations for a particular individual, and then it says, you know, through a training process, through a sort of uh, algorithm, iterative process, it says which of, of, of which of these uh, nodes or units is that attracted, okay? What you can then see is that and you can then, for, for each of the 42 items, you can see where it's attracted to in that space, okay? So I haven't got time to go through the 42 items, so I'm just taking two, okay? So what, what does this graphic says? It says in relation, to, in relation to inability to afford a video recorder, okay, so firstly, we then, to simplify and present these, 
we, we have a tri we, 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 we break it down into a tripartite set, okay? The red cells are cells where people who are above the disadvantaged median are attracted, okay? So disadvantaged people are, you know, the, when we're showing the red cells, we're saying these are the nodes where, where, where you know, where, where, where the disadvantaged are attracted. White is intermediate and the blue is below average, okay? The, the blues are the less disadvantaged. So an item like a video recorder, it turns out the blues disappear, okay? The only distinct, because so many people possess, possess it, the only distinction is between a small group of people who don't possess a video recorder and basically the rest. And that's as much discrimination as you can get. Whereas if you take something like a personal computer, you can then see that you get this tripartite distinction. Uh, in this area, you in this area here, you have, uh, you know, the disadvantaged attracted, the whites are the intermediate ones, and then the blues are, um, are, are the disadvantaged. So you can do this for each of the 42 items, okay? And by going through each of the 42 items, you could get a picture of what the spaces in this hexagon represent, what is being attracted to them, what's the profile, what are the patterns. The only thing is you'd have a nervous breakdown, okay? Because you've got so much information, you can't possibly, uh, you know, in, in, you know in, in, interpret it at that sort of individual level. Are people asked whether they can afford a video recorder or whether they have a video uh, They're asked both. They're asked, do they have it? And if they don't have it, they're then asked, can they afford it? Okay? So the objective is to take taste out of it. Whether it does so, of course, is open, open to debate. But that's, that's, that, that, that's clearly the objective. So it's, it's meant to be deprivation, uh, you know, rather than taste, okay? So since, as I say, if we just went through every one of these, we would go crazy, what you actually do at that stage then is to apply a further clustering procedure so that we, re we, we, we reduce this 18 by 24 space to the 16 clusters that you see there, okay? So this procedure then identifies 16 clusters. In, in, in setting up the 16 clusters, it isn't necessarily that they group together in the way they do here, okay? It turns out that one of the nice features of these results is that the 16 clusters are, are all contiguous in space, okay? So all the ones are together, all of the 12s together and so on. These clusters are, uh, uh, so, so we now end up with 16 clusters. And our job now is to try and interpret what these 16 clusters actually are. And to do that, we then use a sort of multi-dimensional procedure. Can people see the lines? I can't see it very clearly from here. The, the crucial thing there, there are two lines in this graph. This one here, okay? Maybe if we take the... Okay. So, the issue is, what do these clusters mean, okay? And... The first, line, the, the first line here, okay, is relating to our basic deprivation cluster, okay? So everything over to the left here, any of these 16 clusters which is over to the left here is high on basic deprivation, okay? So as we go, for, as, as we go horizontally, we're going from high basic deprivation to low basic deprivation, okay? The horizontal line here is dividing those who are affected by health problems and those who are not, okay? So, over here, we've got a group that is suffering 
severe problems in relation to basic deprivation and it has health problems and it has health problems as well okay down here we've got a group which is experiencing almost as much problems uh, is, is experiencing more problems in relation to basic uh, basic deprivation but doesn't have health problems okay uh, over here we have this large group who have almost no problems, okay? I'll, I'll refine that slightly, okay? So we've got this large group of people. They, again, the size of the uh, hexagons here are, are, are proportional to the size, okay? So over here, you've got all the people with basically no problems. Up here, we've got health-type problems, okay? Uh, and as I say, over here, we've got the extremes of basic deprivation. And down here, we've got sort of consumption deprivation, but not much health. So you can, looking at that graph, get a picture of the kind of combinations that come together, okay? Now, they actually, these are the kind of variable description of the 16 clusters, okay? Uh, but reading out the variable description of the 16 clusters will probably still leave you a little bit bemused. The following table, though, I think sets it out pretty clearly, okay? What we've done in the following table is that on this side, we have the 16 clusters, okay? On this side, we have the original five dimensions that are referred to you, the you know, basic consumption, household, neighborhood, environment, and health. Okay? So cluster one are people who are basically screwed on all dimensions. Okay? So on cluster one, you've got high basic. Again, I mean, obviously, the plus pluses and minus minuses are reflecting uh, you know, deviations from, uh, from, 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 the, from, from the median values. So here, you're basically screwed on everything but least screwed on health, okay? So this is classic multiple deprivation, you know? Cluster two, you're basically, again, screwed in everything, but household facilities is a little less bad than the others, okay? On three, you've now got health kicking in, okay? So again, these people are multiply deprived, okay? Um, sorry, three, sorry, I, I'm wrong. Three is not a health problem. Four, again, you're multiply deprived and health's a big issue. So the contrast between 1, 3, and 5 is that in 1, 3, and 5, health don't play a big part, okay? But in 2 and 4, health do play a significant part. And these turn out to be rather different kinds of people, okay? But all of these top five are, you know. Then as we move down here, we end up moving into people who are not multiply deprived, in most cases not experiencing basic deprivation, but are experiencing forms of consumption deprivation, okay? And then distinctions start to kick in in terms of types of consumption deprivation. So some people are deprived in terms of high-tech type goods, okay? And some are deprived in terms of, uh, uh, you know, different other sorts of consumption things. Then you get a set of health categories, okay? So these are, these are the people who are deprived on health. But there are distinctions between the kind of health experiences they have, okay? So some people... Some people in relation to health are there because they answer the general question on how is your health overall, okay, you know, this sort of stuff, okay, it's a very general sort of health question. Other people are in the health thing because they have chronic health illness, you know, they've restricted mobility and so on. So you get a set of health deprivation things, but with, you know, significant differentiation between the types of health, okay. Then you have people down here who experience in some form of neighborhood in environment, but not much else in deprivation. So you, you, know, you buy yourself a nice apartment um, 
in Temple Bar, okay, and you're living pretty well, and you're, you know, you're not poor or anything like that, but it turns out you have all these louts causing problems in the neighborhood. Okay, that's an extreme example. But it is possible for people to be relatively well off while still having neighborhood environment problems. Finally, you get guys down here where the only deprivation they have is in relation to not taking holidays, okay? Uh, and, you know, finally, you, you people whose only deprivation is, is, is specific high-tech goods, and finally, minimal deprivation, okay? So, the advantages of this SOM procedure is it does identify 16 clusters of people who experience rather different packages of deprivation. And it allows you to distinguish those, and then it'll allow you to go on and uh, try to explain, you know, why, who are the different kinds of people who experience these different types of deprivation. The disadvantage is that it turns out, if you could back up, that some of these groups are very small, okay? So the first multiplied group is 1.8% of the population, okay? So you're actually identifying quite small groups, which, depending on what you do, want to do is an advantage or, 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 or disadvantage. Secondly, the cluster, you know, some of the clusters are emerging simply with one item, okay? So you get a cluster which is simply holiday, you know? And you ask yourself, you know, do I really want to identify a group of people, a category of people in a typology that are deprived only on um, holidays or only on high tech. I mean, the answer to that, I think, is it depends what you want to do. And, and one of the reasons I want to present this stuff today is that I would think if you had the right kind of data and could distinguish, you know, and you had a lot of consumption data and really could distinguish, you know, different forms of consumption with significant numbers of group, okay? Or if you were trying to look in detail at health and distinguish, you know, in detail different forms of micro-health problems, then this method could, you know, could prove uh, extremely useful. So, as I say, you, you, it's basically the, the, the no-free lunch answer, okay? The method provides a degree of differentiation, which is very hard to get with something like latent class analysis. It then, and, and this is the, the, you know, the get out of jail on the positivist challenge. When you get there, when you get all these clusters and when you have all these nice maps and when they're nicely segregated, you were left with the job of interpreting. Okay? You've got to say what the hell do these clusters mean and, and, and what are the implications of it. So they're, they're the clusters that we have. Now, somehow, a bit of an email I was sending the other day got into the middle of my presentation here. Don't ask me how that, how, how that happened. Okay? As it, many clusters involve small numbers, okay? and some are defined in terms of very specific consumer variables. Okay? Now, in looking at these clusters, I'm going to bring them down from 16 to 8, okay? And my reasoning for doing that is, 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 is as follows, okay? And, and, uh, and this is where the sociology comes in. If you're waiting for when the sociology comes in, the sociology comes in now, okay? There has been a substantial debate in the literature and sociology about issues like the debt of social class, that factors like social class and even income and so on are now becoming increasingly irrelevant. And that lifestyle is very much about choice. Lifestyle is about, it's a you know, the sort of postmodernist uh, construction of, 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 of reality, constructing your own biography and so on. And so the key factors are much more things like, you know, stage of the life cycle, um, and, you know, as, as opposed to these old sort of class factors. Now, my hypothesis was that, the, that neither of those is completely true in itself. 
And it depends what you're trying to distinguish. So uh, on the basis of judgment, although we could have done it on the further, we pulled our 16 classes into eight classes, okay? So we have multiple deprivation, which is least pronounced on health, multiple deprivation that's least pr less pronounced on housing utilities and neighborhood, multiple deprivation pronounced on basic deprivation, then consumption deprivation, basically two types of health deprivation, neighborhood deprivation, and those who are not deprived of anything, okay? And we, so we want to look at those eight classes, and we're going to take... We're going to take the minimally deprived as a refer reference category, okay? So the first question we're going to ask ourselves is, what sort of factors differentiate these remaining seven clusters from the minimally deprived cluster? Okay, what are the factors which distinguish between deprived and not deprived across these events? Having done that, I'm then going to look at what things make a difference within these clusters, okay? So I'm going to look at between cluster differentiation and within cluster differentiation. Okay, so the, with the between clusters, these are results of a multinomial analysis, okay? So they're odds ratios. If you don't want to worry about odds ratios, don't worry about it. They're, 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 they're relativities. What kind of factors differentiate between these clusters, okay? And we're using income. We're using sort of quintile income, okay? So if we take cluster one and two, if we take this grouping, which is highly deprived, highly multiply deprived, and where health isn't a significant factor, okay? It's multiple deprivation, but with health relatively modest. As you can see, we have a fairly straightforward pattern of differentiation between these in, in terms of income, okay? It's, it's quite simple and straightforward that the lower your income, the more likely you are to be in this cluster than in the non-deprived cluster, okay? You don't have income deprivation, do you? We have, the income's not part of dependent, it's no. Yeah, I mean, so we're using quintile, we're using income as the independent variable to predict, as I say, it's a multinomial with the eight clusters of deprivation, uh, and we've run, obviously, a multivariate version of this. So these are, sorry, I should have said these are net effects. This is the net effect of income, controlling for other factors, okay? So what you see is that as a differentiating factor, income becomes less important as you move across these clusters, okay? And I mean, ultimately, down at the bottom, you're getting people who are only deprived on holidays or only deprived on neighborhood. And, and in income terms, they don't differ that much from those who are not deprived at all. Okay? Uh, in between here, you've got clusters that are consumption and health, you know, predominantly. And they're, as, they're differentiated, but they're not as differentiated as the, uh, as the ones here. Okay? And if you compare one and two and three and four, the difference between these is that this has a strong health component, and this doesn't, okay? And health is significantly affected, not surprisingly, by age, okay? But older people are not generally universally deprived, uh, despite their attempts to prove to the rest of us in this country. Well, including me, I'm almost there, you know? But, uh, you know, so where health comes in, health is a very distinctive form of deprivation. It's rather different from current lifestyle deprivation. And it leads to different patterns or relationships with variables. So I've done this for income, but I, I, in, in, in the actual analysis, we've used income, social class, and education, and so on. So I could have done the same for social class. I could have done the same for education. And in each case, what this would show is that you have this kind of gradual, differentiated impact of classic stratification variables. Okay? 
they do a hell of a good job because uh, remember these are net effects I've controlled by the bank they do a hell of a good job in distinguishing between the multiply deprived and those who are not at all deprived okay on the other hand if you want to distinguish between those who are predominantly health deprived and those who are not deprived at all then income and social class become less important sorry yes Oh, these are just the deciles. Yeah, the, the, these are just the deciles. Okay, going from, sorry, quintile, I should say. So we're just going from the low. Okay, yeah, it's going from the lowest quintile to the top quintile. Okay, uh, and uh, these are obviously, the, you know, the clusters. Okay, so it's just showing that the power of income to differentiate between clusters varies systematically across these clusters. We 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 have identified clusters which. Um, not only are differentiated in terms of their content, because we can spell out what the content is and show that the content is different even in common sense terms, okay? But the factors which decide whether you're located in one of these clusters or not, you know, uh, vary systematically. Uh, and, sorry, thank you. You chose the, the, or goes into each cluster on the basis of your like, forms and sociological theory. No, actually, this is, this is, this is not the point. The, 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 in fact, I have to confess that with SOM, sociological theory plays no part in it at all. Okay? I mean, the only choices to be made in SOM are the choices around the algorithm. Okay? There are technical choices to be made, but you know, the process of iteration and the process of convergence and distance and all this sort of stuff and so on. But actually what it simply does is it says, I have a 12,000, and, and this is its advantage and disadvantage. It says, I have a 12,000 by 42 matrix, okay? I just have this massive amount of information, okay? And I want to project that onto a smaller space, okay? And each node in that smaller space, okay, has a vector associated with it, okay? So it, you, if, you know, if you think of each node, it has a vector uh, similar to the input one, corresponding to the input one. And the, by the, this process of training and iteration, it comes, from neural, it comes from neural network stuff originally. By this process of iteration, this relatively mechanical process, okay, it says, I want you to put individuals into the node which best fits or best you works. Oh, when I went from 16 to 8, that was judgment. Yeah, that, that's okay, that's, that's the judgment. Yeah. Thing. That, from, 16, from 16 to 8, yeah, I use my, I, I use my, PhD, in, I use my PhD in sociology there, okay? And, and what I was trying to say, say was that in going from the 16 to 8, what I was... Sorry, could you have asked SOM to do that? Could you have said, I want the eight dimensions now, and then compare what your PhD sociology theory with the eight dimensions You can play about, as I understand it, you can play about with various things in the iteration process, which will have some influence over the number of, uh, um, you know, a, a, a number of, of clusters that would emerge, okay? Once you've got them there, I don't think SOM does, does much more. I mean, what SOM gives you is this, basically what SOM gives you is this 24 by 18 space. It gives you that. So, so what we've done is we've gone through it in three stages, okay? We've had the SOM procedure, which is completely, you know, data reduction level, okay? Then having got to that 18 to 24 matrix, our problem is then that we now have a description for each item, but we have far too much information, okay? 
So what we then do is to have a further clustering procedure. So there is a further clustering procedure which takes you from the 18 by 24 down to the 16. Okay? And that's separate from the SOM. It's using the SOM weights associated with each node in order to do that. Okay? The input to that is, is coming from SOM. But the actual procedure is a standard clustering procedure. Okay? The third bit then is in order that you can visualize what's being done with the clustering, we use multidimensional scaling to give you that you know, figure which had the two lines where you could actually see in space what, what was actually happening. You know? So as I say, there's SOM, the key ones are SOM and the clustering, uh, and then the graph that we showed you where of locating the 16 in space is just a, you know, a device for presentation and, and uses multidimensional scaling. So the 16 from 8 is then me saying, look, I think that these categories can be aggregated in a way which is sociologically meaningful, okay? And my hypothesis was that between these, between these clusters, as I say, the extent to which things like income, such class, and education were important would vary systematically across the clusters, okay? The second part of it, which I'm only going to deal with in the briefest fashion, is I then went on to look within these clusters, okay? So if you look within these clusters, and I'm just going to say this quickly and move on. If you look within the health cluster, okay, or within the deprivation cluster, or within, in particular, the consumption cluster, now what you find are that the variables that have an effect are age, things like age and urban-rural, okay? So some kinds of deprivation are primarily differentiated as they kind of, as people like Ulrich Beck and all these people and individualization and new social risks and all the sort of stuff, fashionable stuff, say. It is true that for these forms of deprivation, they're right. What really matters is stage of the life cycle uh, and what matters is urban-rural location and things of that sort, okay? Now, my view is that these forms of deprivation within these clusters are actually not nearly as important as the ones between, okay? So I think, therefore, it, it, what, what the evidence is showing is that which kind of stratification works depends on the deprivations you're looking at. But the forms of deprivation, which most of us would think are important, and which are the ones I think that are central to poverty and social exclusion, are still primarily differentiated by variables like income, social class, and education. Okay? Within those categories, whether you're deprived on high-tech or low-tech stuff is affected by life cycle. Okay? Whether you uh, have affected, you know, the kind of illness that you're affected by is affected by age group or life cycle. Okay? So younger people may tend to answer, are more likely to answer they've got some general health problems. Not more likely than older people, but if you then go to something like physical disability, you know, physical restriction and so on, and this affects older people. You know, it's not, it's not rocket science, okay? So different forms of health are affected by, you know, stage in the life cycle, different forms of deprivation, uh, you know, uh, deprivation on high-tech items, you know, is, is saying you're deprived of high-tech items is more common in urban rather than rural areas and so on. So, 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 so they have an effect, but it seems to me on outcomes that are not nearly as important, okay? Again, that's just showing the effect of these age, age variables, okay? Now, having done that, we then said, well, look, at, at that level, I've been trying to predict membership of these clusters, okay? Here, what I'm actually looking at are, what are the consequences in terms of economic stress of being in one of these clusters? 
How likely are you to say that your household is having great difficulty in making ends meet compared to others? Okay? And as you can see, I mean, the pattern really is very clear. Okay? I mean, these, I've gone back to the 16 clusters here. And as you can see, um, the, uh, am I, obviously the sort of yellows are the, the ones who are uh, extremely uh, high. Oh, sorry, I'm getting this wrong. What we did was we took three different items on economic stress, okay? We had this difficulty in making ends meet, and we've had a couple of others which I'm having trouble to remember now, but basically were to do with experiencing debt and so on. So there were three indicators which reflected the level of economic stress in Nelson. And we simply added them up to go from naught to three, okay? So the yellow is you report problems on all three of these economic stress items, okay? And fortunately, the first group, the extremely multiply derived group, pretty well everybody in there is saying, you know, I'm experiencing, is responding to three of these indicators, indicating economic stress, okay? Down at the bottom with the minimal deprivation, hardly anybody is, okay? And in between, you get this, you know, graduated, uh, graduated picture, okay? Uh, and uh, if, you, uh, uh, if, if, if you look, as I say, between one and three, two and four, the ones where health is important, the level of economic stress tends to be somewhat less than the ones where it isn't, okay? Again, I think reflecting this over people. But, you know, the simple finding is that SOM, with a little bit of help from us and a little bit of interpretation, has produced 16 clusters which are sharply differentiated in terms of the socioeconomic factors which affect membership of these clusters, okay? And which have the consequence and the effect that the people, that variation across those clusters in terms of people indiv individually experience economic stress is extremely sharp, okay? And that takes us, you know, somewhere along the road, okay? To conclude, what I want to just do is to say, were my Italian colleagues right? Is SOM actually better than what we did with latent class analysis, okay? Now, with latent class analysis, we do, and I haven't got time to get into the details of it, latent class analysis differs from what we've done here in that it, you know, is not inductivist, okay? I mean, what it's actually saying is, okay, firstly, I don't want to look at current levels of deprivation, okay? I don't want to know whether people are deprived at the moment, okay? What I want to know is what kind of risk profiles do you have, okay? What's the risk of something happening to you, okay? And, and sociologically, I think this is often more meaningful than, you know, than looking at current deprivation. Because when we use notions like social class, the reason why concepts like social class are so attractive to us, okay, is that we think, well, somebody might be deprived on a particular dimension at this point in time, but they mightn't have been last year, and they might not be next year, okay? And often our notion of social class is that, as I say, people have different risk profiles. They have a higher risk of lots of bad things happening to them over a period of time. But not all these bad things happen at precisely the same point in time, okay? So using that kind of notion, and, and I say I haven't got time to go into detail this, using latent class, we identified what we call the maximally deprived group, which is about 80% of the population. Those deprived in terms of living standards, those deprived on health and housing, and those minimally deprived on all five dimensions. Sorry, the minimally deprived is the 82, the maximally deprived is the 4.5, okay? So we have identified these groups, but as I say, remember, we're identifying them not in terms of their current levels of deprivation, but their risks, okay? So we're saying this 4.5% is, 
are people who, they're, they're, if you're in this vulnerable class, if you're identified in this vulnerable class, your conditional probability of being exposed to these deprivations is hugely higher than, than people who are not in the vulnerable class. Okay? So let's take a simple example. On something like uh, the deprivation variable, it turns out that if you're in this vulnerable class, okay, then your risk of being exposed to that deprivation is about 90%. Okay? Not 100, 90. Okay? Your risk, of, uh, if you're not in the vulnerable class, goes down to you know, uh, 1%, 2%, and so on. For income, the contrast isn't as sharp. But what you get, as I say, are groups who have sharply differentiated patterns of risk. Okay? They, they also have different patterns of current deprivation. But the really important thing, I think, is that you're, you're looking at risk. Okay? So how do these four latent classes compare to our 16 classes? Okay? So what I've done is I've taken the economic stress variable, okay? uh, and we've simply run a logistic regression, okay? where we put in the 16 clusters first, okay? Um, uh, 15 clusters if you leave out the reference category. And these are odds ratios. So these are the relative, the relative, you know, the relative odds on being economically stressed versus not being economically stressed. And as you can see, the odds ratio for category 1 versus category 16 is 390, okay? If you're in cluster 1, you've got 300, the, the odds on you being economically stressed rather than not stressed are 390 times higher uh, than if you were in uh, cluster 16. Okay? And as you can see, there's a gradual pattern of differentiation here. Again, you know, why, is, you know, why are these ones here lower than, you know, why are 2 and 4 lower than 3 and 5? Well, that's the health factor again. The health, you know, where health comes in, then the consequences in terms of subjective economic stress turn out to be a lot less than when health is not there. Again, largely to do with, with it being older people. But you have this very clear pattern of differentiation, okay? What happens if I just put in the four latent classes that we had? Well, the odds ratios are much lower, but 24 and so on, but the patterns of differentiation are still significant, okay? What happens if you put one in after the other, okay? So if you look at something like the adjusted or squared, as you can see, the 16 categories on their own give you an R squared of 0.38, okay? The clusters on their own, 0.268, and the two together, 0.395. So the answer is that the 16 clusters add a lot more to your ability to explain economic stress than the four latent class clusters. The four latent class clusters do a pretty good job on their own, but they don't add a lot you know, to the 16 clusters. So you are getting you know, something... Uh, something quite significant additional, okay? I've, sorry, I've just shown the growth and the net effects there. That, this is the gross effect for the, that's the gross effect for the 16 category, that's the gross effect for the four categories. And these are the net effects, okay? And obviously, the 16 category net effect remains quite substantial, whereas the latent class doesn't, okay? So the 16 clusters do add something substantial. Okay, conclusions. If you're going to talk about multidimensional ex uh, social exclusion, then you have to find a way of measuring. Okay? It's, it's pointless to keep talking about it unless you can define it in the fashion which you can then measure and compare different forms. Okay? What, what you get with both of these methods is to say, it comes down to no free lunch. If you use SOM, you can get a highly differentiated pattern of deprivation. You get a highly differentiated set of clusters. 
These clusters are, uh, you can predict membership of these clusters from socioeconomic position and so on. And they have and you can show that they have severe consequences in terms of economic stress. The price you pay is that you have to do a hell of a lot of interpretation. Okay? You, you know, even after you've gone through all the simplifying procedure, you're left with a huge amount of information which you then have to interpret and you have to convince people that these distinctions really are meaningful. Plus, you end up with rather small clusters in some cases. And then you have to ask yourself, well, you know, is the game really worth you know, the, 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 the candle in relation to those? On the other hand, with latent class analysis, you put in these really strong simplifying assumptions to start with, okay? And you're, you're, you're strongly pushed by your, your, your conception of how social exclusion works and so on. You end up getting a very small number of clusters. If it works, and in this case it worked extremely well, the patterns of differentiation in terms of risks, again, are, are, you know, are, are, you know, are, are extremely striking. But clearly there is a scale of differentiation that's caught by something like SOM that you're not picking up. So this is a trade-off you have to decide about in relation to the particular problem you're looking at and what it is you want to explain. I don't think there's any you know, absolute categorical either or in favor. But both of them can be applied to problems which I think in the social sciences are, are, are really important problems. Okay, I've probably gone on a bit long. Chris, thanks very much. That was very interesting. I'm, I'm not sure if I've understood. In fact, I know I haven't understood quite a bit of it. You're with me then, Ronnie, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I will say is that the LCA, for me anyway, is much more attractive because you can get more glaring uh, patterns and it's easier to understand. The SOM seems to me, in any case, that it can be open to all sorts of, yep. uh, well, issues of extra confining variables or confounders of some sort or another, even in the interpretation. And I have to go back to first principles on all of this, because I'm an anthropologist after all, and the whole issue of the mechanics of the process, and I do, you know, we do know from the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the, the Townsend and, and Fillmore and others, um, how this changes and the outcome changes, the findings change in relation to how studies are set up. Well, my concern would be in relation to uh, A, first of all, what we're looking for and what we ask for. And it also seems to me that there are other factors which are not in the equation and indeed there's not even a discussion about some of them or hardly a discussion, such as things like ethnicity, uh, yeah. identity, and so on. And I just wonder. Well, my principal question is about the mechanics and not so much of this. Yeah. The secondary question is about in some sort of introduction to those other factors which... Yeah. Well, in, introducing the other factors is, 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 is quite easy. I, I think it's just with the uh, EU silk data, there aren't particularly good measures of those there. But there's no reason why you couldn't introduce them as variables predicting clusters and so on. Yeah, see, I, in both of them you end up making choices. You just make them at different stages. With the latent class analysis, in order to get it to work, what we had to do was... We had to identify the five deprivation dimensions first for using factor analysis. Then we had to decide cutoff points for each of these dimensions. Okay? Uh, so we were doing a lot of synthetic aggregation stuff at that stage so that we could feed it into the latent class analysis to get the nice, simple, straightforward results you get. Okay? Now, you're right. If it fits, it's saying this very simplified model of the world. Okay? is actually doing a really good job. And that's nice, and sociologically it's really, you know, it's really helpful. You, know, you, you say, here's a, clear, here's a vulnerable class, 
That is exactly the kind of profile that I'd expect of a vulnerable class and I can predict it and so on. Okay? With SOM, it looks like you're getting a free lunch. You just throw the information in, okay? And it structures it. If it were, I mean, one of the big advances of SOM, of course, attracts people is the capacity to map it in this very nice way. Okay? And if you can map it in this way, it's a lot easier to communicate. But in the course of doing that, you have to make decisions about the technical processes, okay? And the biggie is, it tends to come out with a degree of complexity, which then leaves you quite a job in terms of saying, what do I do at that stage? How do I move on from there? And that's going to be open to dispute and so on. My notion is that there's no reason why one can't be informed by the other, okay? But, but, but that your knowledge of what a latent class solution, but what a simplified, uh, you know, theory-driven procedure has produced couldn't influence some of the decisions you make, you know, in terms of the data reduction stuff. And similarly, that, you know, no matter how smart we think we are in terms of theory and so on, you know, data reduction techniques, at a minimum, it, particularly if they throw up these nice, nice, kind, nice kind of patterns, raise these questions of, yeah, maybe the world's organized slightly differently than I thought it was. And maybe I could feed that back in, in, into the loop. But so, as I say, they, they have advantages and disadvantages. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in principle, SOM just says, feed me in the information and, you know, I'll, I'll gobble it up and I'll structure it and I'll map, map it for you. So if you had, if you take, for instance, Tony's work on housing, where Tony's saying, well, you know, it's not simply a contrast between deprived and non-deprived neighborhoods. Neighborhoods differ in, you know, lots of different ways. And even within what looks like a homogeneous area, you get quite a degree of differentiation. Of course, if you could measure that, if you could measure that, you could then get clusters, you know, which would correspond to areas. I mean, you, you could also cluster purely on a geographical basis. But you could cluster on deprivation variables and then see how they fit onto those geographical areas. And, and, it, and it, has that, it has that capacity to handle this enormous complex amount of information. It would also at the same time, of course, tell you what the scale of that problem is. How many people, uh, you know, experience different types of deprivation. Patrick? I was thinking on the same lines. I would be very interested to know if you ran SOM on, if you, like, if, if you split your data and say like, rural or urban or whatever, right, mm. or you might have to make more distinction and run the analysis. My hunch is that the, the clusters would be quite different, let's say, in a rural area as opposed to, say, a large urban area. Well, you, you see, yeah, well, you, well, you, you can test that in a way without running the clusters because if, if that's true, when you put in the socio-demographic differentiation variables, it should tell you that. It should tell you if you're in a rural area, you should be more likely to be in a particular cluster. I suppose my interest in it, the thing that really enthuses me about it, is that I've had this bee in my bonnet for years, okay, that when the Irish Times writes about deprivation of poverty, it writes about a stereotypical urban neighborhood where everybody has all the problems, okay? And we all know they exist. But when you go and count the number of people in those situations, it turns out to be very small, okay? Actually, very small numbers of people experience those forms of multiple deprivation, okay? And secondly, of course, we know that identifying the fact that they're in their neighborhood doesn't mean that the neighborhood isn't any big cause, 
it could equally be that people are selected in and out of these neighbourhoods on the basis of all sorts of other characteristics. So we haven't actually shown, uh, you know, shown a neighbourhood effect. Okay? Now, what do you do there? The, the problem is, and it's the problem I started off with, that if you keep look at the literature on multidimensionality and social exclusion, people take totally different interpretations of what they mean by it. I think if you go the multiple deprivation route, you are at severe danger of ending up in a cul-de-sac. Okay? Unless you're focused, if, if, you want to, if your particular focus is to look at deprived urban neighbourhoods, and that's what you want to do. Okay? But if you're trying to talk about a general national situation, you quickly end up running out of cases. Okay? Because the reality that people seem extraordinarily resistant to is that in the social sciences, the correlation between these sorts of variables is modest. Okay? Even the ones that we think are incredibly close to each other, like social class and income or education and income, you know, the, the correlations are not 0.8 or 0.9. For this kind of deprivation stuff, the correlations come down much smaller. And so as you look for overlapping groups, the sample disappears before your eyes. Mm -hmm. okay? It's just gone. Pip, and puff of smoke. Okay? So th th does that mean, therefore, that multiple deprivation isn't important? Well, I think it means that we need to shift our attention from deprivation to risk, and this is what I've been arguing for a while, that what we should think about is that people are exposed differentially to risks, okay? and the risks are correlated. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're working class, over your life cycle, you will have more health problems. Over your life cycle, you will have less opportunities in terms of education. Over your life cycle, um, you'll clearly have less, uh, you know, less consumption goods. You'll be more likely to be unemployed. Okay? There's a lot of nasty things that will happen to you, okay? But they don't happen to you all the time. They are risks you're exposed to. Some people will be made, some working class people will be made unemployed, some won't. Some will live in Donegal where this, you know, industry has just gone, you know, belly up and they will suffer this. Others will be, you know, in areas of more disadvantage. And I think from a sociological point of view, and I suppose from a general social science point of view, we have to start being able to think in terms of these kind of risk levels. And, and, and this is old hat in a way. It goes back to, if you go back to Blau and Duncan and status attainment type models, you know, that's what they were trying to do in one, 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 one particular form. Now, I think if we can then understand how patterns of risk are structured, we can then, as we've tried to do in our work, you can then relate these patterns of risks to patterns of multiple deprivation. You, you can go from a sort of macro level of risk down to a micro level of current circumstances. And you can trace the pathways between them. Of course, the ideal way to do that would be to have dynamic longitudinal data. And then you could trace how the risks, risks are translated into current deprivation and outcomes. But you know, in, in, you know, in, in the end, despite my repu uh, probably well-earned reputation as, as a positive and so on, the bit of this that turns me on is to go back and say, that our ways of understanding social stratification and sociology are still just as relevant as they were. That all this stuff about the debt of class is largely a complete load of guff, okay? Mm -hmm. But we simply have to understand what, what, what it is we're interested in, how you conceptualize those risks, and then you look at them. And then sociology still has a future, okay? So that's my, 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 my positive note, you know?
but in fact, even in those neighborhoods which were run by Al Capone, most people did not actually fall into uh, crime. It's not at risk. By the way, I want to thank Stephen for not mentioning that my main claim to fame these days is that I'm Carl Whelan's father, you know, rather than anything I do. You know, so. <laughs> Shut it up after an hour. Any yeah. more questions just in case? Going, going. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. If it's something so new, you can't take it in at first glance. I can understand what it is.